You're listening to Diversity Matters, a podcast about raising awareness and education through thought-provoking discussion, opinions, experiences, and inspirational stories from the complex world of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Here's your host, Mike Seeley. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Diversity Matters podcast show, where my guest is Dr. Vanita Palanivelu, a professional engineer with a background in academia and the corporate world. She holds a PhD in computer science engineering and an executive MBA. Vanita is an advocate for promoting women in STEM fields and actively mentors young professionals, encouraging them to embrace their passions and pursue their goals. She recently became a business intermediary and owner at Transworld Business Advisors, a global network of brokers offering a turnkey solution for those that want to build a solid business and future for themselves whilst maintaining a balanced quality of life. Vanita, welcome and thanks for joining me on Diversity Matters. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. It's a real pleasure. Um, one of the things where I would like to start is a little bit about your early life where you where you grew up. I grew up uh, in a small town called Velur. It is next to Chennai. Uh, it's oh. in the southern part of India. And I was the eldest child in the family of four. I have two younger sisters and a brother. And uh, my mother is a high school chemistry teacher and my father was a physics professor. So they actually told me that big family is a blessed family. That's what <laughs> I had growing up. Now, was it your parents then that got you interested in engineering? How did that all come about? Engineering was not my primary field of choice. I wanted to follow the steps of my parents. Like uh, I wanted to be a school teacher or a professor like uh, uh, my dad to become a physics professor. Unfortunately, we didn't have a college for women in the small town where I was in. And growing up in a conservative family, they didn't want to send me out of town for my studies. Mm -hmm. And there was an engineering college that was started and they wanted to put me in there. So for my parents, being the girl child, the only thing they wanted from me was to graduate, have a job so that I can put a roof over my head and have a decent living. But they didn't have any big goals or aspirations for me. So from there, you, you know, and I was just looking at your, your background, you spent time in Australia, and currently you, you live in the USA. So how did you make those journeys? Why did you choose Australia? Just tell me a little bit about that, that entire journey. So when I finished my graduation, graduation, as I told you, like I was brought, in a, brought up in a conservative family. So after I finished college, they wanted me to get married before I move out of my home. So I was kind of a rebel. I fought with my dad. I said, <laughs> either you send me to the uh, nearest big city where I could go and find a job or I'm leaving home. Uh-huh. And he put, put me in a hostel. I went, I found a job. Till I found a job, I never came home. And after I found a job, I was there for five years. And I had opportunities to do master's in U.S., uh, but they said, like, after you get married, you do whatever you want, but you're not leaving uh, India until you do that. So uh, I got married to uh, Dinesh, and that's how I moved to Australia. 
and then i had i i would say going to australia was a blessing for me um being a commonwealth country i found that and also an egalitarian society what i found was um they provided opportunity for women like mm-hmm. they had something called as mature age women and i had lot of support like i was able to raise my kids and do my phd oh that's fantastic so you did your phd in australia yes yeah in the university of new south wales in sydney so did you move on then to becoming an engineer uh back in india i worked for 5 years and when i moved to australia i worked for a couple of years and then i decided to do my phd because i didn't have a family support to take care of my children and work so i thought let me slow down because i for me i've seen my mother she started working when she was 22 and she retired when she was 58 so all i've seen is like a number of women folks in my family like doing that full time job trying to raise children and i personally decided i'm not going to do that because we we are like much more in a modern society and i felt like the society needs to accommodate for women i said let me leave the job let me go back get my education and i want the society to, to accept me because i'm not wasting my time just bringing up children but i'm going to reskill myself get a phd so that's that's where i came from like to have that uh, family life balance while i'm getting an education or uh, working okay so would you would you say then that you were a little bit of a rebel when you were younger or was it that you saw a wider world where women can be equal and you know almost stand up on their own two feet which is very different i guess being being a woman growing up in india where there is a lot of traditions around the culture so you know did you fight those traditions or did you kind of find what would be the right balance between between the two it's funny you asked me that mike i think when i was in grade 7 or 8 i went to a catholic school and we were supposed to wear the traditional indian dress to school and they had a day when you're allowed to come in like anything other than the uniform mm-hmm. and i owe my dad's pant and a t-shirt <laughs> and i said i'm going in this and my parents were like no you're not going to do that <laughs> i went to school and the sister in the school she said no you're not coming into the class dress like this go home get changed and come back otherwise don't come back i went home and i told my mom i'm not going back if i'm not going in this dress so i was like that oh, <laughs> even while gro- growing up <laughs> that's interesting okay um so obviously you're in australia now um what what was work like there what was the companies you worked for like in australia i i worked for uh, a startup company um to begin with and i've been blessed like if, in australia or in us like in the first month that i landed in the country people have been welcoming to me i found my first job in both australia and us in the first month and the startup was kind of the door that opened to me a wider world i've worked mm-hmm. in 
another company called Australian Aero, which was in OEM for automotive industries. And then I did a bit of contracting work for uh, an industrial controller before I joined University of Melbourne is where I started my PhD. And again, that was a kind of uh, interesting crossroads. I started my PhD, I fell pregnant and I had complications in my pregnancy and I had to take one year break. And then my husband switched jobs. He moved to Sydney. I was like, do I stay in Melbourne and continue my PhD after I have children or do I join my husband in Sydney? I decided to uh, transfer to University of New South Wales. So I was heavily pregnant, like in, um, I was giving birth to my son on 18th of December, 18th of December. On in the tenth of on tenth of December, I met my supervisor and co-supervisor. Oh I presented word. my research plan, and I was delivering the baby. And my husband was submitting my application <laughs> to transfer <laughs> candidature from University of Melbourne to UNSW. So I've done a lot of crazy things, saying yeah. like I'm going to be like this. <laughs> oh wow! But that, uh, that probably just demonstrates that you're quite a determined person. You know, when you, you want to, to achieve something, you know, you're gonna you're gonna go after it um and achieve it, which is which is great. You spent time in Australia and then you moved to the US. You you spoke a little bit about um moving to the US and getting a job in a month. What made you move from Australia to the US? After I finished my PhD, I tried getting a job, but we were living in a small country town like called Bendigo. Again, like both my husband and myself, we both have a PhD. It was like kind of always trying to balance out our careers. So he found a job in uh, Bendigo and we wanted to have him as the primary breadwinner for the family. So I moved to Bendigo and I was traveling to Sydney for my PhD, like and meeting my supervisor and getting things done. And when I finished it, again, the option was, do I move out of Bendigo for a job or do I stay in there and do something? I was always involved with the school community and the local community. Mm -hmm. So I decided to uh, start my own business. And I was prospecting to the businesses, trying to find out their needs and bring some technology into uh, to the local businesses, like developing the apps. And I found resources back in India where I developed the app and I was taking it to the small businesses, demonstrating how it would be helpful. And I was doing it as part of that. I found that I was more of uh, inclined towards business and I had argument for it, but I didn't have the good thriving startup environment for me to pitch or have venture capitalists. That's when I was telling my husband, I, I want to move to U.S. where I could uh, try and establish something for myself. And also, it's been a long passion for me that I want to start a company uh, where I could provide opportunity for women like me who have a career break. And having a career break doesn't mean that they can't come back. They still have those skills. That's still my dream. I want to mm -hmm. build an ecosystem where like, I would be able to give an opportunity for those women who want to get back into uh, having a career after they raise their children. So yeah. that's where like my dream and I've moved here. Okay, now you raise a very interesting point, and I'd like to touch on it a little bit more. So, how many children do you have? 
I've got two boys, both are teenage boys now. Okay. So I'm just kind of thinking back to the time when you were working, you were studying, you were bringing up your two boys. How how did you balance all of that? How did you and your husband balance the time between raising children um, and, and working full time? It's because I grew up in a family where my mother was a working woman all the time. And what I found her do was she did a master's in English language while working. Mm -hmm. And I've seen her go through the emotions of she raised four children. She would break down. She, I've seen her cry, like, because the results would come. She may not have passed one of those papers. And people would say, like, why don't you give up on it? And she never gave up. She said, right. education is going to help at some point. And my husband, he was raised again by a, a mother. Like, she was equally adamant and strong like me. Maybe that's why she chose me as a <laughs> daughter-in-law. And she did her PhD raising two children so he grew up in a household like that so for him uh, I think he was able to match my tempo and uh, let me have my dreams that's amazing and in terms of because what you want to do is is very admirable in terms of create that ecosystem for people who have had children and want to get back into work how difficult is it at the moment for you know women who have had children and taken the time off and then trying to get back into the working world or back into the position that they left or even a higher one. Is that a big challenge? It's a uphill challenge, especially in the world of engineering. That's mm. what I felt. And I would say that that's a fear that's been in the mind of all the women because my mother and my mother-in-law, they worked in a government job where their jobs were secured, but still I found them to be like, they always had their job first because that job security was something that was always in the back of the mind. They didn't want people to judge them. Like because she has a family or she has a children, she's able to slow down and do less and still get the uh, get away with it. They didn't want that blame to come on them. I think that's in the back of the mind for all mm -hmm. women. So they try to work really hard when they have children. And I would say most of the women, like in order to have the job security, they work very hard. They put children on top of work in most times that I've seen. And for women who choose to put their family first, take a break. And then when they try to get back in the workforce, it's been a uphill battle like i would say they they are pushed to take a lower job it's been happening to me all the time whenever i take a career break and come back i don't start from the position that i left every time i just go to square one i started the lower salary of a junior engineer and then i try to build up and then something happens i just go to square one and try to build up and for many women it's like a difficult thing to do like you've been a senior engineer you've been a team leader and then suddenly you're pushed to start as a junior engineer many are not able to take it and they actually leave the profession and go on to do something else or just become a stay-at-home mom so it's a big battle yeah. Mike. that is a real challenge and do you, do you think that it is down to company policies or do you think it's the attitude of men in the workplace that not giving 
women this opportunity, particularly when they've already been in a senior position um, and, you know, obviously left and come back, they don't want to put them back in that position. Why do you think that is? I think it is the general attitude of society. They feel that when uh, women have gone out of the workforce, their priorities have changed and their skill sets have come down. And what I need people to think is that we are trying to raise the next generation. Mm. And uh, and also women are fighting. Uh, maybe they are from a good family. Maybe they are fighting domestic violence. They have a lot of things happening in their life. So give them a, a benefit of doubt, like if they are not able to come on time or stay for a longer time, because that's going to be a short period, like maybe six months, maybe a year, they can get their life back on track and they can be productive workers. We don't have that mindset to give them that flexibility for six months or a year when so many things are happening in their life. And we want everything to be like uh, work according to the rule book. So uh, what I think is the common sense has gone out of it. And we are more like the computer says no. So everything is according to the rule book. Yeah, I know that certainly in the role that I do, a lot of that is those attitudes are changing um some degree but may, maybe not fast enough uh, and i just think that you know it's wrong for anybody to even make the assumption that you know a woman's priorities have changed just because she's had children or that the skill set's changed the skill set doesn't change it doesn't disappear right so why would they even make that assumption so it shows that even today we still have a real challenge with how we treat women, you know, those that have been pregnant, have taken time off, getting back into the workplace. You know, we still have a lot of work to do in this space to, to make everybody feel welcome, particularly returning returning mothers who are, you know, returning into the workplace. It's just it just doesn't make sense that they're put in lower positions because they've had children. I mean, if we continue to have an attitude like that, then, you know, things won't won't ever change. True. You're right on the uh, point, Mike. And we spend a lot of money, like, uh, getting women into STEP, but mm. we put a lot of resources in that, but we don't put money into retaining those women because... Uh, nearly 50% of them drop out after graduation and then more drop out like in the first early first five years of their career and the money that was invested in there like it it just goes to waste waste. and that's the reason I've held on to my uh, PhD because most of my education was funded by scholarship and Mm -hmm. what I felt was I need to give back to people I'm not going to leave this engineering field and Whenever I felt like people treated me bad, the that's what comes to my mind. Like people have given paid for my education and mm-hmm. I came to this job on my own terms and I'm going to leave it on my own terms and nobody is going to push me out. But that's not something that every woman would have. And I, my yeah. question is like, why should a woman be a rebel in order to ascertain or get her position? She rightly deserves it and yes. she needs to get it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know it's now that obviously with your, your 
experience, you are you know helping to promote women who go into the STEM uh, fields through actively mentoring yeah young professionals. Tell me a little bit about about that. So I'm part of the Society for Women Engineers in Orange County. I'm their secretary. I'm I've been like since moving to US. That's the first organization that I joined in the mm-hmm. first month of moving here because I wanted to be part of a system where I could relate to women. I found women who had children and who were like balancing their careers as part of that group. And we kind of uh, do a lot of outreach activities, working with young kids to get into STEM. But the other portion that I've been actively talking in the group is about getting those women who are out of the workforce, back into that workforce. And one thing that we were thinking about is connecting with Octane or the local women entrepreneurs group in uh, Orange County and see how we can co-work together in order to get that happening. And personally, like I've been promoting a lot of my women engineers saying that we need to become entrepreneurs. We need to have more money to invest and start a company where we could create that ecosystem for women. That's something that I've been pushing and talking to people about it. And I think it will eventuate uh, sometime. Excellent. So your role as um, an engineer and in the companies that, that you've worked with, I'm assuming that they have been male dominated environments as a woman in those environments how have you been made to feel have you felt a sense of belonging there or do you think there's always been an uphill struggle to prove yourself and prove your worth it's been kind of both mm-hmm. i've had uh, sometimes good easy to work with people where uh, i was accepted there are occasions where i had to really push my voice out and being called as arrogant or stubborn and people have told me that oh you are good at promoting yourself you are good at marketing yourself that's what i get because i go out and talk about this but they don't look at the picture of women deserves to have that voice and if she is not given what she deserves and she would raise her voice to get a place which i've tried to do and got really bad names uh, in the process wow so unless you speak up and ask for or demand what you deserve, nothing happens. And when you speak up about it, <laughs> then yeah. then you're you know you're berated for it in, in some way, which is which is crazy. And uh the other thing that I've faced is coming from India, my accent is different. Mm-hmm. I was able to to some extent try to I I, I don't say I got the Australian accent, but I was able to get the pronunciations right and then move to US and things got mixed up. And I feel like my language doesn't or the my accent doesn't fit uh, the places that I am in. So yeah. that's a bit of a challenge for me, like in, in workplaces. I think that's something I'm still working on. <laughs> yeah. But but when you say you're working on it, are you working on trying to change your accent? Do you think you should yes. be changing your accent? I kind of feel like that needs to happen in order for me to be accepted or for me to be heard. I don't know whether it's right or wrong, 
but I felt like uh, in order for me to be successful, maybe to get to the next level, I need to get and fit into the society where I'm living in because I could not be accepted just as the way I am. Which is interesting because it it means that, you know, there is no diversity. It means you are being asked to fit into a structure. And certainly when it comes to things like changing your accent, you know, it sounds like that's a problem other people have. Not It's not a problem you have. You know, you are what you are and you are where you came from. You know, you should be able to be your authentic self as as much as you possibly can in any environment. And I know it's, I know it can be very tough in, you know, in the US. I've never personally lived there, but of course you, you read, uh, you know, and you hear all the different stories around, you know, discrimination and, and being a woman, it's just twice, then it makes it twice as, as hard all around, you know, so it can be a very tough environment to be in, but my personal advice to you would be mm-hmm. don't try to change your accent you know or the way you talk or the way you are or your personality you know there's a problem that other people have and they have to they have to look at themselves and and fix that it's interesting you brought this up mike because now that i started my own business and the part of the business involves prospecting going out trying to find prospective clients so uh, when I have my business card, it has my name, Vinita Palnivelu. It's very hard to pronounce and it just gives out my ancestry. And it was kind of interesting. Like I was having a conversation at home and uh, the suggestion that came up was you should change your uh, surname, make it pal so that it's easy to pronounce and people don't know where you come from. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wasn't uncomfortable doing it. And I question myself, why should I change? Like when I go in person, they are going to see who I am and where I come from. I think it's more of changing or uh, it's going out there and making people know that you're a genuine person who wants to help them, not just a con uh, person coming in to uh, just get a business. And I think the work that you do in terms of diversity, bringing that education and bringing awareness around that unconscious bias, it's very important, Mike. Mm. We do that all the time. Yeah. And it exists. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's funny when you just mentioned about, you know, changing your name. This was a big challenge also in the UK. I know a number of people, either from Asia or from Africa or even the Caribbean, who have either shorten their names or changed it so it sounds more English, more Christian, uh, however you want to describe it. And, you know, you speak to a number of those people as to, to why. They will say that they send a, you know, a resume out applying for a job with their full name. They don't hear anything back. If they send the same resume out but the name has changed slightly, then the likelihood is that, you know, they may be invited to an interview, but there's definitely a greater response just based on the name. So a number of people have done that just to kind of get in. You're absolutely right. By the time you get to the interview, people can, you know, they can see who you are. Um, But a number of people say, well, at least once you're there in front of them, you've got an opportunity then to really showcase who you are, showcase your skills, your experiences, et cetera. So it's a bit of a tough one. And I'm, I'm hoping by now that that is changing certainly more so in the UK and I I honestly can't speak for 
what that experience is like um, in the U.S.? I think it's changing. Orange County is more of a melting pot. So I find uh, it's uh, getting bit more acceptable of people coming from different cultures and the same in Australia as well compared to I uh, first went there in 2004 uh, mm. to Australia and I left in 2017 and things ch- have changed massively over there yeah. with a lot of uh, uh, immigration. I think that's what makes us really part of this big human family, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of being just isolated in different places, being comfortable within just your own sphere, it's like coming out and looking at people as just they are and accepting it. It's totally a different thing when you do that, when yeah. you start seeing people as people, rather than like specific ethnicity or ancestry. Yeah, completely. I, I totally agree with you. Now, tell me, you were saying that your boys are, are teenagers now. What's life like for them? Are they following in the footsteps of you and, and your husband? Or are, are they chasing their own dreams? They are chasing their own dreams. They both are quite different. Uh, people... My first one is very analytical. My second one is very creative and uh, artistic kind of person. And they have their own uh, dreams. Uh, He wants to get into medicine. The other wants to get into paleontology. And they're totally like diverting it to different fields. Like, I think that's the choice that uh, my parents gave me and uh, my husband had the same option growing up with parents like both his parents had phd one was language the other one was in psychology uh uh, education Mm -hmm. educational psychology yeah and he became an engineer so i think we have given children the choice like go and make a life for yourself and be who they are so my second one is not that great in math but he can uh do graphics he can do videos he can do a lot of creative stuff whereas my first one is more the more of science and math person Mm -hmm. so i've just let them be what they are good at excellent and tell me um obviously you know both yourself and your husband coming from india how do you with your sons balance your culture with the u.s culture and you know the fast pace the technology the tools A party and maybe I don't know but you know how, how do you keep them grounded this is something that might be revealing to you Mike while in Australia when I was living in Bendigo mm-hmm. uh, I had a Jehovah's Witness knock on my door and I became one of them oh wow and I did uh door-to-door uh witnessing and um I kind of uh felt like I read the Bible from page to page Mm -hmm. and I kind of developed an appreciation for it. And coming from holy, like a Hindu background with all this meditation and all the rituals, going on the other side and looking at a different religion, embracing it, adopting it and living through it. And that's what I've taught my children. Like there's nothing good or bad about any religion for that matter, you need to get into it, experience it, and just take the good out of it. And for me personally, some of the values 
uh, my personal values didn't sink in with uh, the Jehovah's Witness values, mm-hmm. which yeah. is why I left them. And uh, I was joking, uh, telling my husband, now that I've tried Christianity, I want to live as a Muslim for a few years. I want to live as a Jew for a few years. He was like, I'm, I don't have the energy to support it. If you want to go and try it out, just you're welcome to try it out. So that's the kind of household my boys are in. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's great. It's great for them, for sure, to, to be able to, one, choose what they want to do and experience you know, what is interesting to, to them. One of the other questions I, I really wanted to ask you, and, you know, we we met at one of our events back in February when you, a panel speaker, speaking to, you know, 260 high school students. And I guess that is almost kind of similar to your passion around, um, you know, mentoring uh, young professionals anyway. And that's where we, you know, that's where we actually met at, at that event have you done any more of those types of activities um in the time is it something that you'll continue to do how how do you how did you feel about that particular event i'm really grateful for that opportunity and the platform that you gave me mike and i was able to see uh the way it opened the mind of uh young students with that exposure and uh, with the diversity dot organization and their mission statement about getting people connected irrespective Mm -hmm. of their people's background like whether it's white or uh, black or brown or Mm -hmm. uh, whatever ethnicity you are in we are just equal and we are all in this together and that's something that synced with me like I'm that kind of person I don't want to look at people's background I don't want to look at people's religion and I've been trying to live that way in the network that I belong in. And uh, I've not had a lot of those opportunities to go out and uh, meet students, but we have done it in small groups through the outreach program in SWE yeah. and other school activities, but not on a big, wider platform that you provided to me, Mike. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. So, look, listen, we're, we're coming up to, uh, to the end of the show, but one of the things I want to ask you is obviously one of the big challenges we have in the STEM fields, particularly engineering and science and technology fields, is the distinct lack of women coming into the industry. What advice would you give to young girls and young women who are potentially looking at getting into I would say young women need to take up engineering field. They need to graduate and get into the workforce. And what we need to change is to change the perspective of the businesses and their perspective on uh, about women. And we need to come up with uh, rules, regulation, and uh, workplace uh, arrangements where these women could be retained, promoted, and then the company could be with them through their life changes and they, uh, that might happen because they need to go, they need to raise families, they need to come back and they they should be able to do that without having to fight for it. Yeah. I think it's like because women are pushed to fight for it, they just leave. Yeah. And uh, I think it's nothing wrong with women or the STEM or any of that. It is like our workplace has to change. Mm-hmm. So tell me. And try. Um, Okay. No, just sorry to interrupt you there. I was just going to ask yeah. then, um, 
what can companies do better to help accommodate women and make them feel included um, and that you know that sense of belonging what what should companies be doing that they're not even not doing already or or should be doing more of i know uh, you know what mike in as part of society for women engineers i have seen lot of talented women out there who could be sitting in uh, the boats who could be mm-hmm. sitting in uh, the c suite but i don't see them reaching there i think uh, women need to be promoted to those board level uh, positions and uh, c suite positions so that the next generation is able to see uh, because uh, you can only uh, become when you see it I think the companies need to actively promote women and push them to those positions and those women need to support or create a workplace that would help the newcomers thrive in that environment and we need to actively do that and I've seen lot of high potential in uh, women in SWE OC and they deserve to be there. That's great. Okay, um Venita yeah. I really want to thank you. Um this has been really insightful discussion particularly just hearing about you know you growing up and you know you're very passionate very intelligent um and you are giving back like you said you are mm-hmm. you know providing um younger people you know great mentoring and and advice and, and coaching etc so i just want to leave it by saying you know thank you very much for coming on on the show um and i wish you every luck uh in the future particularly with your your very latest uh, venture and i hope you do begin to start um, finding those clients out there uh, to drive your business forward so thank you thanks for having me mike and i'm really grateful for this opportunity no worries it's been a real pleasure you take care thank you bye bye for listening to this episode of Diversity Matters. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to hit like and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.